0: Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse podcast, Explosions and Fire.
1: I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And this week on the Infernal Schoolhouse podcast, we're talking to Stu Horvath of Vintage RPG. If you don't know it already, there is some incredible content here. There's a website, a podcast, an Instagram, and there is soon to be a book.
0: And a couple of episodes back, I talked about how inspired I was by early D&D and early RPG art. And that's really what got me into Vintage RPG, They have whole podcast episodes on early source books and interviews with some of the amazing artists of the time. But first, let's introduce our guest. So, Stu, thank you for agreeing to be with us today. We're thrilled to have you and so excited to get into it. Hi, thanks. I'm super psyched to be here. Excellent. So, to start us off, just tell us a little bit about yourself, Vintage RPG, and what inspired you to to create this content.
2: Ah well, I mean, my myself, I'm boring. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you can
0: skip that part.
2: <laughs> no, I'm a I'm a writer and editor by trade. It's also sort of a photographer. I I I did my my professional career before going freelance was in news media, which was awful. And I I just sort of was slowly kind of collecting. The dawn of the internet kind of opened up my eyes to the 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 all the the stuff that I had missed. And I like I had never known that there were chaosium box sets until like 10 years ago. And when mm. I saw them, I I needed them. <laughs> it just, they were objects of beauty, I just thought that they were great and I wanted to see what was in them. I love box sets, you know, the promise of a, opening a box and there being treasure in it. Mm. And I just kind of, I, I kind of started accumulating all of these things and it just made sense eventually to kind of put them out there in a way that was sort of available to folks. And then I started commenting on the stuff, and and it just sort of became a thing. It grew exponentially and 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 organically into a vast multimedia empire. We uh, <laughs>
1: love it. That's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, with that being said, how how'd you get to you know John Hambone McGuire involved in this whole process? Oh, Hambone actually got
2: me involved. So I, I've known Hambone for years. We worked at a record store together. We, we've had mutual friends for years. He's been in my D&D group for years. And after about a year into the Instagram account and its success, he sort of just got into the, the whole idea of podcasting and he pitched me on doing a show together. And, and there we are. And it was great because Hambone Hambone's great because Hambone is just sort of new, generally new to the the, the whole hobby. I mean, he's he's been at 10 years, but, you know, I, I started when I was in, like, fifth grade. So, like, comparatively <laughs> new. You're uh, like, what's up, new guy? <laughs> that's like Brian uh, and I, for sure. <laughs> and there's just sort of like, and and, and just doesn't have the interest in the, the the broad, I mean, not everybody has that interest in the broad kind of scope of the hobby. So, it, it, it's fun because I, I have all the stupid books and read them all, and then I tell Hambo about it, but he gets really excited. So, it's like a really good mix. That's great. Very, very odd couple. I like that.
0: It's good. So you go really deep with each system that you discuss. And I've heard a little bit uh, about your thoughts on this on your podcast, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you think about D&D in the context or in relationship to other systems out there.
2: Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I thought you said no gotcha questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I lied. <laughs> these tough, man. Like, I, 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 you can't, you can't escape it. It is, it is, for a lot of people, it is the only role playing game. But that makes the entire industry kind of odd. I think about it a lot because, like, when you find, when you get into movies, you get in, you don't watch the same movie over and over again. You, mm-hmm. you, you get excited about the form of cinema, and then you watch a whole bunch of movies, and they're all different. When people kind of come into this hobby, the, the the gateway is also their stopping point a lot of the time. And and that's weird. But it it, it also it nailed so much out of the gate that it's hard to deny that its place in the industry, even though it's been, you know, historically mismanaged, like, like almost to a comedic level, and history seems to keep repeating itself in, in ways that are just sort of really frustrating as as somebody who kind of like Has like, don't you read any of these books? Don't you? Aren't you aware of the history? (laughs) Have you played your game? (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, how is this going wrong again in the same kind of ways? So I I think that, and 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 of course, I've played Dungeons and Dragons a huge amount. I'm running a a game right now. We're having a blast with it. So it's like like this really complex, complicated mix of sort of love and criticism, and and on the podcast I call it the blue jeans of. Role-playing games and it, it kind of is, you know, <laughs> I like, love that. like like everybody's going to be, everybody plays it, everybody knows it. It it creates a baseline language for how we 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 talk about the hobby, and and all those things are good. I I just I do wish that sort of the market domination was not so much, and and there was a larger pool of people who who were able to push beyond the bounds of D D. But mm-hmm. on the other on the other side of the, that coin, if there were more people in the hobby, it might not be as warm and welcoming, mostly. As as I find it to be, so.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, listening to your, your podcast and listening to Brian's question makes me think a lot about just all the, I guess, more of the golden age of the hobby store. You know, of being able to go in and getting more of a plethora of gaming systems and books. Uh, not that there aren't, uh, you know, a, a wider variety that you can certainly get right online now, but just that idea of going in and just D and D being a small fraction of the store. It was just so so tiny, and then. Now when you go to the, like, we have a massive gaming store that I won't name because we would like to talk to them at some point, but they have just this massive <laughs> section of just D&D and then very little other books. I mean, I was listening to your West End uh, Games podcast on the Ghost or, or not the Ghostbusters, which I have listened to one, but on Star Wars, which I did own and played that game. And just being able to go in, find a new system, give it a try and then go from there and like i miss that a lot so so i I guess you know like rolling from that you know like you 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 kind of dive a little bit more into this i think it looks like you have a a great book coming out in october can you tell us a little bit more about that oh the book so the instagram always
2: kind of felt like because there's a a character count and you can't really push past that they they always felt like post-it notes in a way for for a larger project right um and about a year or two into the the feed, Ed Park over at The Believer and New York Times and a bunch of other places was sort of like like in my DMs being like, This is great. You should make a book. And I was just like, Ed, you're crazy. <laughs> like, nobody wants this book. But then, yeah, you know, we started the process and 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 you know, after a while we got it at MIT Press. It's coming out on October 10th of this year. And it's basically an overview of the history of the hobby, I, I, okay, I don't like calling it history because I feel like history has certain connotations that I'm not interested in, in adhering to, but it is definitely an overview of the hobby from the very first release of Dungeons & Dragons up until 2020. The The book is called Monsters, Aliens, and Holes in the Ground, a Guide to Tabletop Role Playing Games from Dungeons & Dragons to Mothership. We used Mothership in the title because I feel like Mothership is the, the, the birth of the zine scene, which I think is sort of ushering in a golden age of of creation in the hobby at the moment but we we it, it, each it, we're divided up into decades five decades each decade i just picked stuff from my collection that i thought was important somehow or interesting not necessarily historically important i have a lot of dumb games in there too because there's <laughs> a lot of dumb games in this hobby and i feel like it's important to highlight them too and let people know that that some stuff is just stupid um and i mean that in 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 the warmest way possible like like there there's just some games that are 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 playable or or but they're products of like like one person working really hard and i i really love those games um even though they're they're like bizarre and and so fully illustrated with photographs of stuff from my collection it you know it's it's basically like the the instagram just really 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 polished and we, I got a great illustrator, Cal Patterson, to do the cover and some spreads inside. And it's really exciting. It's, it's large. It's 450 pages. There's like five appendices. I have an appendix where I recommend books, just like Gary Gygax and the Dungeon Master's Guide. It'll be fun. It'll be interesting, hopefully. That's great. And I love the...
0: And it seems like in the podcast, you you pay particular attention to the artists and the art from a lot of these books. Can you talk a little bit about how you think about art in relation to source books and you know systems and things like that.
2: Oh man, it's the most important part. I think that there's a a subset, a large subset of people who are in the hobby primarily to buy books just to look at the pictures. And then there's another subset that buys them just to read the lore and never play them. And then there's the third set which actually plays. But no the 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 art totally drives the game. I think that that I think role-playing games are essentially in a lot of ways, derivative, uh, creative forms in that they've always encouraged players to reenact stuff that they've seen elsewhere, either in in their favorite books or their favorite, uh, movies. That's why Appendix N sort of looms so large over the, uh, the, the proceedings. Um, and I think the art contributes to that. I think that the art is another layer of, of, of giving you examples of things to emulate and like seeing, and you could sort of chart the, the changes in tone, over the years, you don't see characters getting eaten or otherwise dispatched in fifth edition D and D art, whereas that is sort of the dominant theme in first edition, and it sort of disappears in second edition, and and second edition becomes much more character focused, but not still not in the same way as five e. Each edition and their art is is very different and, and and characterizes the game differently, and then that's true for every other game like like the the. One of my favorite things about the second edition of West End Games Star Wars is how Alan Nunes' art in particular changed how I saw Star Wars generally because like he's got this one picture where it's like Darth Vader's hanging out with Ming the Merciless and like just the juxtaposition of those two guys it, it changed things and like like it it opened up you know how I viewed what I could do running the game and that's super important and 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 these books have always been full of art and they've always been full of art by people who aren't necessarily trained artists and that I think that's also part of the appeal because there's like a like a homemade quality to it um you know the the, the definition of amateur where where it's a, a product of love for the pursuit rather than a professional and and I think that that also infuses it, it you know that's that's the diy diy spirit of the hobby that you know Characterizes so much of it. We have a, a gigantic zine scene, as I mentioned, where it's just people just putting stuff out there. And because of the the way that the the economics of everything are, like, like we we've gotten to the point where people can make really, really beautiful stuff and and put it out there, and it's great. And and we as players and readers are are, are rewarded by it. I think I think the art is is and the design is super important to I think everything, every aspect of the hobby. Wow.
0: Oh, I love your passion around that. Sorry to interrupt, Darren, but I just got really no, excited. No. <laughs> you passion around that because I really fell into that first bucket that you talked about as a kid in the late 70s, early 80s. I found these books and they were vastly past my mental capacity to play or even conceptualize. But that artwork was so inspirational. And I would sit there with the Monster Manual and some of these other source books and I would just pour over the pictures and so many images and amazing things were conjured in my mind that for me, that was really the start of it. The charts and graphs still, to this day, don't speak to me as much, but that <laughs> artwork really, really just is just so enriching for me.
1: So I would ask, Stu, you know, I think one of the most challenging things in this hobby as a game master is finding, you know, some new content that you want to run. You know, you find a new game system, but it's hard to find that player buy-in. Like, how, how do you go about getting them to do the time buy-in, the the desire buy-in, the money buy-in for a new system that you know you think would work? for you for a while.
2: I mean, I've been trying to get a pl- pen dragon game off the ground for years <laughs>
0: and I failed
2: <laughs> partly because like I've always just like if we're going to do this we're not going to play for a couple of sessions. We are going to do the whole 80 year campaign. You know, be prepared for this <laughs> to be the next 5 years of your life. And surprise, I'm still waiting. I don't know. I I kind of like th- there's a certain amount of I think at least for me just just the idea First of all, the, the dungeon master or game master is the job that nobody wants, right? Mm-hmm. Like like so so there is, I think, a baseline appreciation for the willingness of sacrificing yourself and becoming the 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 game master that that players do to a degree want to be led to a, a game on a subconscious level. I don't think that this is like I don't think that anybody's gonna be like, you know, admit to that. So I, I I do think that you can kind of take the bull by the the ring and the nose and and kind of lead them gently. You might have to convince them that it's their idea, but you could you could do it. And I, I and that's that's sort of my method is to, to to gently just decide what we're playing and then expect them to play. It's
1: very autocratic. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if it gets success, you know what what's the problem? With
2: it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my Call of Cthulhu game is going right now. Through sheer force of will, sometimes I think we we, we keep having these month long breaks. That like it, it it's one thing when it's at the start of a Masks of Athotep region, but like when our Shanghai campaign, we were the chapter was like at the like literally we had one session left and it was in the middle of a battle and we had to take a month long break and it's just like <laughs>
1: oh <no. laughs> so painful. But then everybody died And
2: I was happy So
1: it was great (laughs)
0: At least you got What you wanted out of it (laughs) So we had You talked a little bit And you'd mentioned About some of these More obscure Kind of out there games I know a personal favorite Of Aaron's Is the Wendy's Hamburger role play game Oh oh, yeah
2: yeah yeah Yeah
0: okay So he (laughs) And he's determined To get us to dress up Like hamburgers And chicken nuggets And play this game (laughs) (laughs) To also to no avail so far, but I think he's going to do it because he won't stop. But I'm wondering, are there other of those in that category of yours that, that you want to highlight? Because I'm really interested in that stuff. It's just so fun for me.
2: I mean, a lot of uh, my a couple of my favorites are in the book Dragon Raid, which is like this gigantic three-inch box set that was put out in 1984 and is a Christian proselytizing role play role playing game.
1: Role-play, game. Ooh, juicy. Um,
2: yeah, there is so much stuff in that box. And it's so painfully earnest, and it's so bad. But like, <laughs> but like, just it was just it was bad because it was like, like, read the room. <laughs> like everybody, no one is going to get along to play this game at this moment in time. And they they've revived it, and I think it's doing kind of okay now. But like, it's very strange. And not my, but my absolute favorite is world action and adventure, mm. which <laughs> this fellow he got college credit for like several classes for this thing and it's like it's sort of like a generic universal system but the, the it, only, it only accounts for like the real world and like any historical period within the real world but like you can be a postman if you want <laughs> and there's nothing really to do in the game except do your job and live your life and maybe not get one of the ten diseases that are on the the, the chart that kind of there's like a little note that says like this encompasses most of the diseases in the world and it's like really <laughs> it's it's a very like wonderfully naive game because it, it he's trying to translate the entire world that he's living in in circa 1986, I think and he's trying to translate that into a role-playing game which is to him is basically a series of kind of interlocking random tables and it's just it it's great. his mom, founded a publishing company to put them out. They are the best, like in terms of quality. These things are like textbook publishing, textbook printing. Like they you could, you could, they're gonna last. They are of such high quality for 1980, whatever. It's 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 astonishing. These things are 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 archival in their in their quality. There's three books and it's just like like it's great because like the one book is just all animals. It's like who cares? But I love it.
0: It's an amazing academic exercise, but also potentially misses one of the fundamental points of RPGs, which is <laughs> the fantastical <laughs> and not and like, the mundane.
2: If you look at the covers, he has like one where he just looks like a normal guy on the back cover photo. And then one, it looks like he's like the villain in like a like a, a nerdy co- comedy, like like he's a yacht kind of the rich yacht kid. And then the last one, he looks like he's cosplaying Indiana Jones. It, it, it It's just so great. <laughs> and like I can't imagine having put this forth as like like- es- essentially his his thesis for the year because he like it, it it's advertised on the cover that he got college credit for like like a multiple <laughs> a multitude of classes just like
1: absolutely wild I wonder if we could find him and see what grade he got on that thesis um <laughs>
0: <laughs> or get a hold of that thesis, even
1: oh, that would be amazing um. It almost sounds like one of those mobile ads you see in between games, like while well, while you're waiting for something to happen, where it's like make this choice in your life, and it's like just the most absolute garbage choices that you would you would pick. You know, it's like do you want to wash the baby or start the fire, and it's like what? It's <laughs> oh, crazy stuff. So, is there anything you've run into as a as a game master that uh, you would consider one of the more complex systems. For me, I, I, I think of Rifts, which I had a really difficult time, which is from the Cheesecake Factory illusion of choice from all the different stuff you have to choose from in these books. Um, but I mean, any sort of system you found incredibly intimidating um, to to run and kind of work through.
2: Rifts is up there. I finally, when I was writing the book, I had to sit down and 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 figure out Mega Damage. Mm-hmm. And and finally, parsing that, I feel like I might have cracked rifts, and if you made me play it, I could probably do it now. Though, honestly, the Bayfair system, which has like this slide rule thing, which is like, or there's like equivalencies, it's logarithmic, that's the word. So like, like I don't even know, how, like when I was writing about Underground, I figured, again, I like looked at it long enough until it started to make sense, and once it made sense and I explained it... I felt like I knew real magic, but <laughs> it's gone now. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it, to, I, it. It's just, everything's equivalent. So like if, 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 if you could, I don't know, if you have a 50 strength, that means you could pick up a, a, a thing that weighs 10 and throw it 40 and like, and, and those things scale. And it's, a, it was a way to kind of address superhero games, sort of like phase rip so that you have differing power levels amongst characters. So it was trying to, to find a way to balance that. And it's genius. It is absolutely genius. Once I figured it out, I was like, this is, this is like, I don't understand why they put that kind of effort into a role playing game when they could have like done science with it or something. <laughs> but it, like, absolutely, I would never be able to play it. Like, cause it's just so mathematically complex. And so, like, I can't, I can't do that at the table. Like, even Champions, the first edition of Champions, we, I, I was looking through that. We did a podcast on that recently, and there's like, there's half points and, and, Like like half dice, it was like like a half a d six. It's just like call it a d three, man. Like there's just like this. (laughs) The the the, problem, especially in the older school games, there is like like problem solving, in which this problem gets solved, but like in the most inelegant way. Because there's there's just sort of like a perverseness to the people who are making these games, and and you can you can tell you can tell that all these guys were like science nerds, computer nerds, like so many of the. the D the D D guys designers were like urban planners, like by trade. Right. And it it really shows in like that, like (laughs) 1985 to 1995 window, because a lot of those like box sets are so map in heavy. And like those maps aren't exciting. They're very, you know, urban planning. So, and and people kind of get upset about that when I say it, because like, like they, they've become invested in those maps, Hmm. but like they don't, they don't really cop to the fact that they became invested in those maps despite their boringness and, and which is fine i i i have learned to love many things like olives and rifts <laughs> you you learn you learn to look past the deficiencies and find things that you love about them but sometimes a boring map is actually a boring map and unfortunately i i feel like forgotten realms is like such a snooze fest that
0: oh, yeah. was the thing I was hoping to hear you say, because I've, I listened to a podcast where you, you had sort of like admitted that. And I think that that's such a refreshing point of view these days. And potentially, you know, you, you're sort of time has come for that opinion, just based on the, the OGL scandal and all these other things that are happening where people are just like looking and hungry for something different. But it's for me really refreshing to hear you say that because it's almost like the, the core religion of, of D&D is, oh, Forgotten Realms is everything. D&D is everything.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I I get that when I like, I, I just got into it on Twitter with some guy who is just like, like so virulently anti Gary Gygax. And it's the opposite of what I usually de- deal with, where like people are just like, he is an angel of the hobby, like, like a demigod. And like, neither of those things are true. He was a guy. And guys, you know, do good stuff and they could do bad stuff. Like, like he was kind of a jerk a lot of the times in his business dealings and then some sometimes surprisingly he was like surprisingly like nice people are contain multitudes um and there's not a lot of room for that um in when we talk about these things that, that bums me out and, and and that translates to things that like forgotten realms and it makes sense to a certain degree because a lot of people spend a lot of time playing in their forgotten realms and they aren't used to somebody like me who is much more comfortable with like a, like a, with critical distance being just like, Hey, you know, like I see why you like it, but it's also kind of boring or, and I I do the same thing with Greyhawk. Greyhawk is like, it was like it as presented in the early adventure modules, it's really interesting. But as soon as they started to do campaign settings, like like with the, the Greyhawk material, it becomes very boring because they hadn't figured it out. And then you look at other systems, other campaign settings, and they're actually, exciting, like effortlessly. You compare Sky Realms of Jorun to like any given 80s campaign setting in Dungeons and Dragons and there's no comparison. One is inherently richer than the other, but nobody knows about Sky Realms. So it's hard to like argue that when all you know is D&D I don't know. There's something that, there's that metaphor about hammers and nails and if you're a hammer all you see is nails and it's it's true. I I just don't know how to make it work for D&D. But when you when you're D&D when you're playing D&D every everything's a D20 or something. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to like, like the it, it it's hard to convey that that larger context and people sometimes get upset with me <laughs> because I I like to point out
1: that there's a larger world that is just richer sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I I always like to break and play with the rules for D&D if I'm running it to make it more interesting and engaging and try and make it a more richer experience. But I also like to not do it at the same time. And I I really love playing Monster of the Week right now. That's one of my favorite games to run simply because of how accessible and how much you get to stretch your imagination legs whenever you're actually playing a game. Have you delved into Monster of the Week much? I haven't. It's
2: one of the ones that I, I for, some, for some reason, the, 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 the rule book keeps eluding me, but I've heard about it, It's and it's been on my list for a long time. Is it D&D, like,
1: derivative, or is it... A... No, it's a, it's from Apocalypse Games. Oh, um, uh, okay. And essentially, the way that it works is very much akin to, I guess, whatever sci-fi show you want it to be, whether you want it to be X-Files or Buffy or whatever, but you have literally a monster of the week that the keeper, who well, they call them the monster keeper instead of the game master, will... Throw at the players they have to trying to investigate what it is and how to stop it and then they have like a countdown clock where they go from essentially sundown all the way to midnight when you get to midnight then everybody's dead or whatever the <laughs> prophecy is gets fulfilled or whatever but it's it's very narrative based and it's very much more cooperative with the game master than you know antagonistic like you'd have in D D, for example they're the game master in fact doesn't even roll at all they, they mm. just literally have the conversation you can do things as intended, like harm Harmon's intended or whatever, but it's actually the players who roll. And they don't just say, like, I would like to investigate a mystery. They actually have to tell us how they want to investigate a mystery. They have to say, like, oh, I pick a sample of blood off of the floor and I analyze it or something. It's not just like I jump over the ravine or whatever. There's there's a lot more to it from a like, conversation standpoint. It's pretty entertaining.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah the the vintage rpd discord was really excited about the new books that came out the the guide to worlds and stuff and 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 again it, it it's still delivering something that that's like a cousin of the D experience like you're still mm-hmm. fighting monsters and you're still being you know feeling cool and excited doing that it, it's just different and i you know like like I, I i don't begrudge anybody their games like you know if you like D and you like forgotten realms that's cool yeah. I, I just I just did a double thumbs up to the, the video you know but like I I, it, I I just I sometimes get frustrated with the the um lack of curiosity in in a hobby that is about exploration mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's it's one of those things where it's just and it, I'll never be happy with that so that's a me problem
0: well but I do think that that's how I see vintage rpg in general as it's fulfilling that niche for folks who are interested because I came to it Wanting to know more about D&D source books. And by three or four episodes in, I'm realizing, oh my goodness, there's so much else out there. I'm just stuck on this one place. So yeah, I love that you're fulfilling that through your, you know, I'm sure like massive collection of uh, all these other books and all these other systems.
2: So many books. Don't ever start collecting role-playing games. It's, (laughs) it's, It's a terrible thing. It takes up so much space. Yeah, lots of stuff. I have a I have a storage locker now. It, it, it's like my great shame is that, <laughs> that I have I have so much of this crap that I had to like load. Lo- I don't know. It, it's like eighteen boxes, like you know, bank boxes of books in a in a four by seven storage locker that I pay a monthly fee for. Look at me. <laughs> is,
0: is there like a a barca lounger in there, and you go in there and flip on the light and read them?
2: No. <laughs> No, I, it's all the stuff that like I can't I like I feel is somehow important and I might need at some point if there's like a second book or or something, but that I'm also not very interested in. So it's all the stuff that I don't need as as, as reference. The reference library is in, in my garage. Lots of stuff. Too much stuff. That's
0: good. <laughs> so, seems like we're coming to an end here, but is there anything else that we should have asked you that we didn't ask you or anything else you wanted to talk about?
2: I think I think you got it all. We have I mean I we we've talked about the Instagram. The there's the website, vintageRPG.com, sort of is this the central hub. It, it connects to everything. We have a Discord, it's a really fun place. And we have a Patreon, Ooh. which is Patreon.com slash VintageRPG. Real clever naming convention. And I I have an ongoing West Marches D and D OS Old School Essentials D and D game for pat for patrons running through the Discord, and that's been very fun and interesting and well outside my usual comfort zone of more narrative based games. I think I've probably run Call of Cthulhu the most. Well, it's really close with D and D, but even my D and D games were very plot heavy until now, mm. and now it's very much like player driven exploration, and it's a hoot. It's great. Sounds like a so- blast. Yeah, if you want to join in on that, there's plenty of space.
1: <laughs> well, great. Yeah, we'll certainly give it a try. I've, I've run some West Marches as well, so I'm always down for being a player instead of a forever DM. So Do it. All,
0: All right. right. Well, Stu, thank you so much for joining us. We're so appreciative of your time. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening this week. We are also on Instagram, and we have a website, and our Etsy Etsy store is live. And just one last thing, Aaron, what do you think about letting the cat out of the bag with the one-shot weekend idea?
1: Yeah, so we have mentioned it briefly in the past, but uh, we do have, I, I guess this is more of our first official one-shot weekend. For those of you who don't know, we run usually an annual or bi-annual weekend where we bring everybody out who's interested to come and do an entire weekend of just role-play gaming. It's really fun. I usually cook for everyone. We pick a theme. It's a lot of good time. This time we're doing it in Texas. The previous two times, or actually three times, I've been in a ranch here in Colorado. So that's a really good thing if you want to try and you know stretch your legs at a, at a one shot. And we're going to put out some more information about that. They're really epic games. We've had one with a, a giant void walker that everybody had to fight on top of, uh, to a giant battle between Alithids and Arnold Schwarzenegger commandos and everything else. It's pretty wild. So we're, we're hoping to get that information out there and then seeing who might want to come join us.
0: Excellent. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next time.
1: Thank you. you.